We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. How many of you in here remember a point in your life where there was not internet? You remember not... Does anybody in here not, not, you don't, don't ever remember a time not having internet, all right? Okay, you, internet your whole life, internet your whole life. Um, I, the reason I bring that up, that's a, that's an interesting question because when I ask it, y'all laughed. Y'all did, y'all, y'all laughed. You thought, that's a crazy, of course we remember. There's a, an entire generation of people that they won't, they don't laugh at that. They absolutely don't remember a time that there was not internet. That was the, my, my children and kids a lot older than my kids have never lived in a day which there was not internet. That is just a part of the human condition. That's, that's an interesting thought. Um, what about this? I think every... I, 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 yeah, I, think you, I, I, think you, I think you might be right. Although, um, yes, I, I, do think, I do think you're right. Because also, when you mix, when you mix that with, um, how many of you in here remember the first cellular phone that you got? You remember, you remember your first cellular phone, all right? Yep, I, I do too. How many in here, who in here had a bag phone? You remember the bag phone? Anybody remember the bag phone? Some of y'all, some of y'all don't, some of y'all still thinking about rotary dial. I'm not actually talking about... Sailor, I there's a um, my dad. I, I don't know if he anything he ever owns he doesn't have, and we were still have. And he kept the rotary dial phone off of his parents' house, like the it was in my grandparents' house, fixed to the wall. Um, he got it, and it's sitting, um, it's sitting in there. And so I was out there moving some stuff. This this has nothing to do with the Bible study. I'm just going to tell you all this. I think it's a good story. So. Um, the, the rotary dial phone does, but so I found it the other day, and I thought that's you know that's pretty cool. Like I realized that my kids did not. I showed it to them; they couldn't have dialed a number for a thousand dollars on that rotary dial phone. Wouldn't have had a clue what to do to to dial to dial a number to get. Not to mention that even if you did know how to dial it, I thought about this the other day. I know about five telephone numbers. I used to know hundreds of telephone numbers off the top of my head. Not anymore. I don't even know. I do know my wife's. I know my wife's. I know my mom and dad's. I know the church's number. That might be it. Like actual cell phone numbers. I realized the other day, I don't even know my children's cell phone numbers. I've got them saved, but I couldn't tell you what their number is right now. Um, And so... The technology and the way things have gone, the way things have moved, is really just an incredible thing to think about. And, and one of the questions that we got, I got the other day, I realized how much not only we can say how terrible that, that technology is, but most of you not only remember the phone, first phone that you got, but do you remember the first phone that you got that also had Internet capability? So we went from like the silver Nokia that had Tetris on it, if anybody, uh, um, and we moved our way on up. And I can remember when I got a BlackBerry, I thought I was rolling. I mean, I had a, I had a BlackBerry, and it had all the numbers on it. I thought, boy, this is, I am something to behold at, th- at this point. And we got Internet. And then all of a sudden, 
you could access anything all the time, anywhere. And it bothers me how totally dependent I think we have sometimes become on that. We don't want to be, but we are. Do you know I left here the other day going to, a, going to my son's basketball game and I had not one clue where, I mean, I knew the general direction I was going, but I'm driving down the road, punched in, punched in the address of the school that I'm going to for an away game, and I just rode down the road and I thought, it is unbelievable how much I trust this. Like it's telling me that I've got to go 12 miles and take a left and go two miles and take a right, and I am hook, line, and sinker. And if it weren't for it, I don't know that I could find anything. Like, I don't, I don't know if I would ever find anything again. And my, from the weather apps that are on my phone, um, my son asked me the other day, how did y'all fit, like we were trying to do some homework, and so we bust out the phone, open up Google, and he's asking me, how did y'all do, how did you find out anything before Google? Uh, how, how, did you, how did you do that? Like, what, 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 what did you do? And then I felt terrible because I was like, I don't know. I, I don't know what we did. I, I Google everything, like, right? We, we Google everything. And so as technology has come on board, especially with technology and maps, we, we, sometimes I think it does us, does us well to at least understand how we derive at that technology. When it comes to maps, especially to know where you are in the world, and I'm talking about latitude, and longitude to know that we are actually right now at a specific global positioning. We are in this spot and it is an exact place. But how do we know where we are? The reason we know where we are is because there are two lines that are cut across the earth. They are not visible, but they are there. And you know which ones I'm talking about. I'm talking about the prime meridian and the equator, right? So one of them runs latitudinally, and one of them runs longitudinally. And the reason I know that is because I Googled it, um, right? And so we know that, and, and because we know that, we know that that's how things are positioned, and that's how our map, based on those coordinates, tells us where we are. We started last week talking about, as we're walking through these five solas, we began talking about sola scriptura, and, or scripture alone. And we looked together at 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we looked at the scripture that tells us that all scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so tonight, we're going to continue on that theme and talk about some more practical approaches to how we allow sola scriptura to dominate our life by looking at another scripture that's very important, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. So, so let me read this. Let me read this and we'll read it together and then we'll spend a little bit of time breaking that down and talking about it and talking about practically how scripture alone should be a part of your life every day. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The word of God is living and it is active and it is sharper than a two-edged sword. So you see some statistics that are there. I actually, when I read these statistics, I actually think they're um, probably a little inflated 
26% of Americans never read the Bible. Never read the Bible. I actually think it's probably more than that. 10% read it less than once a year. And 79% believe they are knowledgeable about the Bible. So about 80% of people, if you just walked up to them and asked them, you know anything about the Bible, they would say that they knew the, knew the Bible pretty well. Yet of those 80% of people that say they did, only 50% of them were even able to identify the first five books of the Bible. What's even more disturbing than that is almost 50%, 46% of people, if you ask them, believe that the Bible, the Koran, and the Book of Mormon are different expressions of the same spiritual truths. That's real. You walk up to the majority of people and you ask them this question. Do you believe the Bible? Yes. They may tell you, yes, that they believe the Bible. But if you were to ask a follow-up question, well, do you, what value do you see that the Bible has? They say, well, I think it's of great value. Do you think it is of greater value than the Koran? Oh, no, I think they teach the same things. What about the Book of Mormon? I think it teaches the same thing. So ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is not bliss because that is absolute lunacy if you were to tell me that two things that say polar opposite things are alike in any area whether that be philosophy or whether that be religion science you would say well that's absolutely incredulous there's no way that can be the truth yet we live in a day and age in which people would accept that so um when we, when we break that down and start talking about what it looks like for sola scriptura to have real meaning in our life, um, when you see there that it says that the word of God, verse 12, is living and it is active. It's alive because it endures forever. Psalm 119.89. It lives because it has life in itself. 2 Timothy 3.16. We just talked about that. Isaiah 55.11. My word will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. When we say that the word of God is living, that is why we need to differentiate between the word of God and every other important book. Um, there are important books that we read. There are historical novels. Um, I was just looking up the other day the most popular books of all time. And it is amazing that some of those that have spanned the course of time and spanned the course of centuries, and you'll remember being assigned those books. And so what is the difference then between the Bible and Romeo and Juliet? What is the difference between the Bible and Moby Dick? What is the difference between the Bible and Dickens? What is the difference between the Bible and any other book? And the difference is that the Bible alone is living, meaning that when we talk about what the Bible has the power to do, that these are not the dead words of history, but it is God not only spoke through the authors then, but he continues to speak through Scripture now. It's not only living, the Word of God is penetrating. Look at what it says that in verse 12, that it is active and it is sharper than a two-edged sword or double-edged sword. It penetrates, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Have any of you ever been convicted about anything in your life? Ever? 
You ever been convicted about anything? Good. Good. You've been convicted about something. The Bible has a way of doing that in an incredible fashion. In fact, the whole goal of Scripture, by the way, you aren't saved if you've never been convicted. Because you had to get convicted to get saved. You would have never sought Jesus without conviction. And the Bible has a way of doing that. Has the Bible ever convicted you and you've been incredibly surprised? I love it sometimes when we're in church and you can actually physically see that God has gotten a hold of a life because the Word of God is not only living, but all of a sudden you recognize that something just happened in the soul of a human being because it comes through the mind, goes into the heart, penetrates the soul. And for some of you, you right now can remember specific times in your life when God changed you. Whether it's through salvation, repentance of sin, God changed you. And for some of you, God is changing you right now. I hope He is, because that's the sanctifying work of God. And as we are saved by God, and as we are sanctified by God, that none of that happened outside of the Word of God. You have never been convicted outside of the Word of God. There would be nothing to convict you. You say, well, well no, it was during a sermon. If the sermon wasn't out of the Word of God or based on the Word of God, then it wouldn't have the convicting power of God. It all has to be based in Scripture, which is why when we talk about our convictions, a lot of times when people say those words, and we've talked about this a lot, oh, well, the Lord led me to blah, 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 or God told me blah, 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 blah. I often will ask the question, where were you in Scripture when God revealed that to you? Like, where, where, what were you reading when God revealed that to you? Oh, well, I wasn't reading the Bible. I just, I just had, a, had a nudging or I had a leading. I am of the firm conviction that the leadings and nudgings that we get from the Holy Spirit cannot happen outside of the Word of God. Now, you say, hold on, does that mean I have to be physically reading my Bible for the Lord to work? No. Charge! Right? So if, if physically, right? So if, 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 if when I am convicted of something, if I hear the Lord and I act on that, whether or not I'm physically reading the Bible or not, or whether or not it's an impression that's on my life, that has to have come from the Word of God. So if I say, well, I got convicted about something or I got led to do something... That ought to be because of what the, Lord, what the Lord has shown you through His Word, either immediately in that moment, or how many times have you at some point in your life, and I'm so thankful for this, you've been in the midst of a situation, and all of a sudden Scripture has come to your, to your mind. A story from the Bible has come to your mind. A conversation through Scripture has come to your mind, and you did something, and you say, well, the Lord led me to do that. He did, but His leading only came because you had been exposed to the Word of God. And so people will say all the time, I want to hear the Spirit of God more. I want to be led more of God. Then get in the Word more. The Holy Spirit will lead you more. He will lead you more the more you allow yourself to be in the Word. It's directly correlated. Where we get into problems in any church is when we try to apply the Holy Spirit disproportionately than applying the Word. 
Does that, you following me on that? You cannot have the Holy Spirit of God and not have the Word of God. The Word of God is what the Holy Spirit uses. So we know that the Word of God is living, the Word of God is penetrating, and that the Word of God is discerning. It sees that God sees everything, and so He lays it wide open. Um, How many of you have ever, in that conviction, you've either been reading your Bible, you've heard a message, you've been in a Bible study, and all of a sudden you have been hit by the understanding that God knows. God knows. And that's scary. When you recognize that nothing is hidden before His sight. And the Bible has a way of doing that. Of showing you, not only now do you know, but God knows. And the Word of God is penetrating. The Word of God's living. The Word of God discerns in our life as well. So, How, if you are going to live a life that is more open to the Word, what are some things that you can do to do that? Number one, place yourself under biblical preaching. Place yourself under biblical preaching. One of the things that I make a promise anytime I've told you about the Summit 101 that we have here, the new members class, and a promise that I make to everybody that joins the church, I can't ever promise you that every sermon you hear here that you hear at this church is going to be good. That will be a false promise. But what I can tell you is that you will never hear one that is not biblical, that is was not studied, and is not prayed over. I can make those. I can make those three promises, and I would encourage you. Um, I'm thankful for every one of you that are at First Baptist Summit. We love love you being here. If you ever find yourself, and I hear this so often, well. We're in this church, and we really like it. Like, it's great. They got great activities for our kids, and we are, or we like the music, or they got a lot of great things going on. But, you know, the, the, the preaching really, it's not, it's not necessarily biblical. Um, the guy's kind of more general or topical. And, and, but, you know, we like everything else. This isn't because I'm the preacher If you give up the pulpit, nothing else matters. It doesn't, and that's not, I'm not telling you that my job as an individual is more important than anybody else's. I'm telling you that the pulpit teaching ministry of the church should drive everything else. It shouldn't be that the children's activities drive the pulpit ministry. Everything should bleed bibline, that it is absolutely scriptural in the way and if you don't have that from the top down then eventually you're going to have a seepage that finds itself in every other ministry so it isn't going to matter how entertaining everything else is or how slick the parking lot looks or whether or not you like what they have on the playground at the church or the graphics in the youth department the issue is first and fundamentally if you're going to a church if you move from here if you leave here whatever happens the number one thing you should be looking for is is this place supremely biblical supremely biblical that drives everything else it's not about the music style it, it's, it's not about the activity levels. It's not about the building. It's not about anything other, number one, than is it supremely biblical. Place yourself under biblical preaching. And I, I have people, and so let me clear up something for you because I get this question all the time. Sometimes people come up to me and they'll say, now, Brother Larry, 
We love you. We love you. But we want you to know. Now look around. Sometimes we listen to other people on the internet too. And I lean forward and I say, me too. Me too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I will give you this warning. I think you should be very careful. I think you should expose yourself to biblical preachers every opportunity that you can. And expositors of the Bible, you should drink it up. Were it not for people that had shown me how to do that and been models for my life, I don't know what I'd do. Still to this day, there are people I listen to all of the time, and I'm thankful for that. So place yourself under that, but certainly ask yourself the question, now, is this person supremely bibline? Now, I want to give you, and I, and I couldn't explain this in detail um, in, in maybe a different setting, but I can explain this to you. Many people, when they are judging a sermon or the pulpit ministry of a church, will say, oh yeah, they're biblical. They're biblical because they hear a scripture quoted. That does not make a pulpit ministry biblical. Here's what you ought to ask yourself. Does it start with scripture and does it end with scripture? Now what is the difference? Here's the difference. If you approach the pulpit ministry of the church by simply deciding what topics you want to address, and then you use the Bible to proof text your sermon, that is far different than expository preaching. Anybody, you, you track, if you're not tracking with me, don't worry, because I'm going to explain that to you. Let's say I did this. If I wanted to pick how we were going to go about the pulpit ministry of the church, and I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to preach this week on faithfulness. So I write the word faithfulness at the top of the top of my sermon notes and I just start writing a sermon on faithfulness and using a concordance or looking up Bible verses that have to do with faithfulness. Well, I could write a sermon and quote a lot of scripture and somebody might say, well, that was biblical. And it might be. And I might take the next week and say, well, I think this week we need to talk about finances. So I may try to look up every verse there is on biblical finances and write something and use those as proof text for what I'm talking about. Or, and so week to week, topic to topic, you end up walking through and looking at it that way, but out of context, Scripture is nothing but a pretext. So the reason that I'm telling you that it ought to be supremely biblical is that you ought to look and see, did it start with Scripture? Because I can't tell you how many weeks over the course of my ministry we have gotten to a place and, I would, and I'll think, I would have never preached this. I would have never chosen to just go into this, but it's where the Bible has brought us. And sometimes after you study the Bible, you go, wow, this means a lot more than I thought it meant. There's a lot more that's here. So we're supremely... Bibline, when we approach the Word of God, place ourselves under biblical preaching. Number two, read and study the Bible every day. That includes meditation and it includes memorization. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. And so when we think about reading and studying the Bible every day, um, what that simply means is that we have a commitment to ingest the Word of God every day. Um, 
I have trouble remembering to take, to take my vitamins. Um, and the reason is, is I'm not a huge breakfast eater. I like breakfast, but not right when I get up. Like, that's just not, I, if I could eat breakfast at 8.30 or 9 o'clock every day, I probably would do that. I get up at 5.30, and I'm not interested in breakfast at all at 6 o'clock in the morning. So I don't take my vitamins in the mornings because if I take them in the mornings and I don't eat breakfast, that's not a good combination. I don't like vitamins and an empty stomach. It doesn't, doesn't work well with me. So I put that off towards, towards the end of the day. But because I put it off towards the end of the day, I, I forget it all the time. In fact, I don't even know sometimes if I'm 50% on taking the vitamin that I'm supposed to take. And so the other day, I'm walking by my little men's health bottle over there and I looked at it because I looked back to see when I bought it and it's 90, 90 pills that are in this men's health bottle and I realized I've had this a lot longer than 90 days so that tells me I haven't been taking it like I'm supposed to have been taking this vitamin and part of the reason for that is that it is not part of my daily routine and a lot of the reasons that we don't daily ingest scripture is it is not a part of the daily routine. This is what I do. This is part of a pattern that's in my life. I'm, I'm going to do this every day. And, I'm, and you say, well, some days I don't feel like it. Do it anyway. Some days I don't understand it. Read it anyway. Because it has a cumulative effect. Sometimes you may not realize that the Lord is doing things inside your heart, but He is. So read and study the Bible every day. Be actively involved in a Bible study group. Notice I didn't say a discussion group. Let's meet every week and just discuss. Nope. Nope. Told you about that. Go around the room. Everybody tell about their feelings. This, this is not therapy. It's not therapy. This is what does the Bible say. And when we are talking about having a Bible study, that means that we want to be inside with a group of people that are actively seeking the meaning of Scripture, actively involved in a Bible study. So I put together a, a list of, when we're talking about Sola Scriptura, some of my favorite quotes uh, all time. I, I made you a list of these that, that are on the bottom of this page that have to deal with the Word of God. Soren Kierkegaard said, when you read God's Word, you must constantly be saying to yourself, it is talking to me and about me. Let me just give you the... I, and I, understand, I really do understand the sentiment. Some of you have made this comment to me, and I think it is, I, I, take, it, I take it well. But I can't tell you... <laughs> How many times after having preached, somebody will come up. It's almost every Sunday. It may not be every Sunday, um, but I probably shouldn't even tell you this because now you won't do it. Um, but almost every Sunday, somebody's going to come up and they're going to say, I sure have somebody that needed to hear that. I know somebody. I am going to send them the link. They need to watch this. They need to hear it. And I... I actually appreciate that. I, I, I know what people mean by that, that it was impactful. So I'm not, I'm not being disrespectful or unappreciative of that comment. But I think far too many people are ready to think about 
other people that ought to be impacted by something that they read, study, or heard preached when you ought to be thinking about how it ought to impact you. How should this change me? The Word of God will find those people, but you need to first ask yourself the question. That's what Kierkegaard is talking about. This is talking to me. Dwight Moody. The Bible was not given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. Now, understand this. If you read the Bible, your knowledge is going to increase. But there are certain discussions with certain people and certain groups of people that I avoid. Because in my spirit of discernment, and I think the Lord gives us this, you ask yourself this question, is this profitable? Is this a profitable, and if it is, fine. But you have a lot of people that would rather debate the Bible than they had obey the Bible. They're fascinated in, 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 like right now, we're talking about the Antichrist this coming Sunday. And when, you, when, when we get there in 2 Thessalonians 2, it's obvious. The reason Paul is talking about it is because he has a pastoral concern for these people. He's not trying to gratify their curiosity. He legitimately believes that they need to know this for it to affect their day-to-day lives. And so sometimes, whether it has to do with spiritual gifts like tongues or whether it has to do with predestination and election or whether it has to do with end times events, any of those things that sometimes people just find themselves talking on and on about, we need to ask ourselves the question, is this edifying and is this profitable? Or have I found myself in a discussion board with a group of people who are just enjoying talking for talking's sake, debating for debating's sake, or the person who wants to impress everybody because they have some nugget of knowledge that maybe nobody else in the room has. Let me tell you what, that is a, that's a pride issue. And there's nowhere in Scripture that teaches us, because what I have found, and the more I study Scripture, I find myself humbled that I don't know more than I do, that I ought to understand it better than I understand it, that I ought to have it memorized better than I have it memorized. And if you approach the Bible and it places a system of pride in your heart, then we've missed the, heart, we've missed the point. So it wasn't given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. Oswald Chambers. Oswald Chambers. By the way, any of you, if, you ever, if people ever ask me, I'm looking for a devotional, um, a devotional book. Um, I often encourage people, before you read a devotional book, read the Bible. You don't have to, if you don't want to start off reading five chapters a day, read one chapter a day. That's a great thing. You can read one chapter of the New Testament a day, and in less than a year, you've read the whole New Testament. It's 260 chapters. It's not a hard thing to do. You can read through the New Testament. But Oswald Chambers has a 365-day devotional, and it's called My Utmost for His Highest. And I believe it is the best daily devotional that I have ever, that I have ever read. So if you're going to supplement the Bible with only one devotional, I think Chambers is, and there may be better ones out there, that's just the best one that I've ever seen. Um, And he said, if you are religious, it is easier to read some pious book than the Bible. The Bible treats you like human life does, roughly. (laughs) 
And here's why I think that's such an important quote. I, in seminary, and even since then, so many different books come up that people are suggesting that we read, 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 and I definitely think we need to supplement our reading to the Bible. It's not that we should only read the Bible, but I think first and foremost, we need to be people that come to the Bible first instead of all the time reading books about the Bible. I am pro-Bible commentaries. I am pro-devotional books. I am pro books on specific topics but just like the approach from the pulpit we ought to start with the Bible and everything else is a supplement to the Bible it never replaces the Bible so that's Chambers quote and Mark Twain who's not known to be a preacher I just love this quote most people are bothered by the passages of scripture which they cannot understand but for me the passages in scripture which trouble me the most are the ones I do understand I think that's true you can spend all your time worried about stuff in the Bible you don't understand. Start focusing on the stuff you do understand, and you could spend an eternity focusing on that. And so I think that's a great challenge to our lives. Um, Martin Buber, read the Bible as though it were something entirely unfamiliar, as though it had not been set before you ready-made. Face the book with a new attitude as something new. Let whatever may happen occur between yourself and it, and Yet you do not know which of its sayings and images will overwhelm you and mold you. But hold yourself open. That This is what he's saying. Many of you in here have read the Bible. Or you've heard a passage preached before. Or you know the Bible story. So it's tempting when you do open your Bible to go, Oh, well, I've read this before. Don't do that. Open the Bible and allow it to glaringly come at you again. And what you will find out is that it's living and after and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it will meet you in places and do things that you never had prepared. So we approach it freshly, and we come to it, and we say, speak to me again. And then Luther, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. That's one of the great quotes come, that came out of the Reformation that the Bible literally takes hold of us. And that would be my prayer for you individually, and that would be our prayer for our church, that the Bible would so lay hold of us, that it would so grip us, that it would determine everything else that we do. You're going to want to be here next week. We've talked about Scripture alone last week and this week. The next two weeks we'll be talking about what it looks like, sola gratia or grace alone. Let's pray together. Lord, we bow before you today and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given it to us. We thank you that you've equipped us through it. We thank you that you've used it to call us, that you have used it to tell us how we may be saved, and that now you're using it to sanctify us. We're also thankful, Lord, that it's only because of the word that one day we would know to even look forward to glorification in heaven. So, Lord, I pray that we would fall more in love with your word, that we may in turn fall more in love with you. We love you, Jesus, and I'm thankful for those that are gathered here today to celebrate you, and we ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.